everyone, and welcome into another episode of That's What B Said. Uh, we are in game five. I'm your host, Bree, at Breezy Clee, and as always, I'm joined by Meredith Kane at MCAN Sports. Hello, Meredith. Good evening. Hello. I feel very formal because I'm about to lose it, so I just, I have to preface this with that. But, Meredith, tonight we are joined by a very special guest. You guys all may know her on Twitter as Browns Babe. Love that handle, by the way. To us, she is Nicole. Nicole, welcome to our show. We are so happy you're with us tonight. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited. I wish we were welcoming you in on a Victory Monday. I know, right? Here we are. We're going to rant about it. And um, for those listening, you guys can catch Nicole on her own podcast, for Pete's sake, with good friend of the show, Pete Smith. Um, Nicole is fantastic, so I highly encourage you guys to tune into that podcast because, I mean, Nicole, you're a lawyer in real life, so you have very strong arguments. <laughs> also, I also, have let's point out. honed my negotiation skills. <laughs> also, I would... I would love to point out that there are several very famous, very well-respected people in the sports media industry who started out as lawyers, like Mina Kimes and Jay Billis. So you are among very good company. Well, thanks. I don't know if I'll ever quite live up to uh, those folks, but I do um, have a good time arguing with Pete, and I <laughs> am not going to lie that I... I um, do think that my lawyer skills uh, frequently give me the upper hand. Um, but he's going to listen to this and then I'm going to get called out for it tomorrow. So we should just move on. <laughs> that's fine. Because then Bree and I are going to come to your defense anyway. So That's right. That, that's what we do, right? The, the, the gang, everyone hates when the women weigh in on controversial football topics. How exactly. Because women Bree, don't... Bree, when do you ever weigh in on controversial football topics? <laughs> Literally okay. never. All right, so this that's a great segue, Nicole. You're a pro. You're a pro's pro at this. Um, so we have a lot to delve into. We were just joking beforehand. This is a very meaty show today, so buckle up. Um, if you're vegetarian or vegan, this one may not be for you. Um, but I'm going to kick off the show because I tweeted out, I guess, what was a hot take when I really just thought I was just tweeting out, like, the popular opinion. And I could not have been more wrong about how people did not like my tweet. Um, so, ladies, I have to ask you, when when you tweet, like, do you think before you hit the tweet button? Because I often just tweet what's on my mind and then I send it. And then, like, sometimes I'll come back, like, hours later. And I'm like, holy crap, I had no idea that was going to happen. And maybe I should start not emotionally reacting and responding to moments in time because I have to remind myself that I'm not having an actual conversation with anyone. This is just going out into the universe and people can't read my mind or understand my thought process. Is Um, this just me? I will never publish my drafts folder on Twitter. If you knew how many (laughs) tweets I started and then either never finished and just straight up deleted before posting or just left in the drafts folder because I do like I look at my tweets and I'm like my first question is are people going to get this reference because sometimes I'll do like really obscure references that I find funny but not I it's one of those things where I can't I have to remember that not everybody consumes the same like TV shows and movies that I do not that I consume anything that's like super underground but like I'll make 
a random community reference. And for like the people who don't watch community, they're going to think I'm a, a moron. So well, for the record, <laughs> I love that show, Mayor. So I'm all for the community yeah, so... references, but I am also notorious for random like pop culture references that no one gets and it's like the tweet that has like two likes <laughs> yeah so like because i've done that before well i'll i'll write out a tweet and i'll read this and i'm like oh shit this is really funny but then i'm like but if said person hasn't either hasn't read this book watched this show know this band anything like that then they're not gonna get it this could sound really bad if you don't understand what it's referring to. And then also I'll kind of like go through things like I get really angry and then I'll type out something super duper snarky and then I'll delete it. I'll actually give a really good example because this happened to the other to me the other night and I don't care about uh, revealing this draft. But I was really upset on Saturday night because Virginia Tech lost in terrible fashion to Notre Dame. Like they gave up a. Uh, a 14 point lead or something i don't know they they just they let notre dame win that game sounds and familiar so, exactly <laughs> like the browns and the and the Hokies lost in like the yeah. same way this weekend so anyway so i tweeted out saturday night why does justin fuente still have a job and then somebody tweeted at me and was like because virginia tech isn't as good as their fans think they are like that was the tweet so i clicked on the guy's profile obviously doesn't follow me and he has like 50 followers. Not that like follower count really means anything, but it's always kind of weird that it's the people with very, very small follower counts that are always attacking me. And then I was like going through his tweets and like every single one of his tweets were replying to disgruntled Hokie fans being upset about Justin Fuente's coaching job on Saturday night. So I... Quote that's tweeted. quite the niche that's quite the niche uh twitter, so, twitter account content exactly so so i literally so i hit the quote tweet button and i wrote out imagine spending your saturday night twitter searching people who are talking about justin fuente just to troll them and then i stared at that tweet for about two and a half minutes and then hit delete and i never tweeted it out but like because i was sitting there thinking like yeah this is gonna kind of own the guy but at the same time, it's also going to give him what he wants, which yes. is attention. And he wants to rile us up. That's why he's literally like search terming Fuente to find people who are talking about them just to like get under our skin. I'm like, no, this is exactly what he wants. So I deleted yeah. it. So, but that's really... the type of stuff. I do that all the time where I'll type out a tweet and then I'll think to myself like what the consequences of this tweet are. And if I'm okay with the consequences, I'll hit tweet. If not, I'll, I'll delete it. I will say that I used to be somewhat notorious for um, getting really annoyed on Twitter at one particular member of the Cleveland sports media. Um, and which was so funny because I am one of those people that like, I think has become notorious for telling other people like, People like, you know, Skip Bayless when it comes to LeBron or Colin Cowherd when it comes to Baker and also certain members of the Cleveland media, like they're shock jocks. This is how they drive traffic. This is their job. And you're playing right into what they want. Um, I don't think the person that I'm referring to is um, quite that calculated. Um, but at the same time, I was like, eventually I was like, why am I giving this person attention? They love attention. Why am I giving them attention? Um, I'm not going to do it anymore, but I will tell you that sometimes I get like three quarters of the way through like a quote tweet that is just like, 
And I'm like, oh, God, delete it, delete, 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 delete. Like, you have to practice what you preach, Nicole. If you're going to tell other people, like, <laughs> not to fall into this trap, you cannot fall into this trap. Um, but I will say outside of that, um, I'm generally pretty good at thinking while I tweet. But, Brie, I have, again, like, going back, like, I have that lawyer advantage. I'm always being very conscientious of what I say and like the 18 potential impacts of what I say. It's just a product of sitting on contract negotiations like all day, every day that I just have to be like very particular uh, about my word choice. So I have a lot of practice. So Brie, I will say this about your emotional tweeting is that I don't really think it's that bad. Like I no. saw, like I saw what you tweeted last night, you know, in just in pure emotional state after the game. <laughs> and here's the thing is that like what you're saying, it's like, it's not controversial. It's not like out there. It's not seeking interaction. It's just your immediate yeah, just reaction to the game. And it's my literal like takeaway from like what yes. just went down. So for those listening that don't know, like I didn't delete it. I, I really don't like deleting my tweets. I try to leave everything out there. Like I'm not really ever embarrassed about what I say. I, I, I'm not going to fight people for my thoughts. Like disagree with me. That's totally fine. But I also like, you don't need to attack me. And like, I think one guy last night literally responded and said, eat shit and die. Like that was his Oh my response. God. I I'm saw that. Yeah. And he, I saw he did, that. He did delete that. But like, of I'm course fine he having did, a discussion. Coward. I'm fine having a discussion about things, but like, it's just my own thought and my own feelings. So I tweeted about the loss not being blame like we shouldn't be blaming the defense I was putting all of that loss on the offense and I wasn't super specific about offense right because I, I wasn't trying to blame Baker Mayfield I wasn't trying to blame a specific person what I was trying to to come across or get out with my tweet and it was like run on sentence I like grammatically it was horrible because the baby was crying we were trying to put her to bed my kids were fighting I was emotional the Browns <laughs> lost like this is I, this is what happens these these are what these tweets like you guys all saw it it was just word vomit in Twitter form so so relatable it's so relatable <laughs> so I felt like the entire game up until I mean up until the very last few minutes like I had no faith in our defense like from the very start like I just immediately kind of put them out of the equation of being the side of the ball that was going to win the game I was back into okay this is like the Dallas game from last year where it's gonna be a shootout and there's no defense being played on either side of the ball so in my mind like yeah, those two blown coverages that happened early on in the game, those sucked. That should never happen, but they happened. And at that point on, I was like, okay, the chances of the defense now all of a sudden being a lockdown defense when you also are piling up with injuries, my mindset was like, that's not going to happen. So here we are in the fourth quarter, and the shootout is continuing. And the other thing was the Chargers couldn't stop the Browns offense from scoring. I mean, as much as you want to say that the defense gave up 47 points and all of these yards, well, the Chargers gave up 500 and what, 520 yards, 530 yards. I mean, they couldn't stop the Browns. So I was most upset about having the lead with three minutes and eight seconds left to go in the game. You were up by one after the, the missed extra point. We had the ball in our hands, had the ball in our hands 
All we had to do was complete a couple of first downs. And instead, we went three and out. In fact, we ran a one-yard run play, threw the ball on second down for an incomplete pass, and then ran the ball on third and ten. And then Jamie Gillen freaking punted it 39. I mean, he, he freaking punted it to the 50-yard oh line. <laughs> okay, so I need to bring up one of Brittany's tweets from yesterday uh, about Jamie Gillen. And this is another thing that I wish I had quote tweeted, but then I actually didn't. Um, so she made a comment about Jamie Gillen and was like, you guys, just because he has a lot of muscles and drink drinks beer doesn't mean he's very good. And I almost quote tweeted that with like, oh, this is what the group chat said about my last boyfriend. But, like, <laughs> but she's, she's... maybe you should publish those drafts. I wrong. know. Yeah, there you. Yeah. So okay. So this is this is the most annoying stat that I saw from yesterday. This has to do with the defense, and it was someone who like, and someone literally like, this was one of the responses to your tweet, Bree, and and someone used this thing from ESPN stats and info. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, the annoying, said, the annoying stat of the game. Brown scored forty-two points, five hundred thirty-two yards with zero turnovers. They're the first team in the NFL like in history including the playoffs to lose when having either 40 points and zero turnovers or 40 points and 500 yards and zero turnovers and the reason I hate this stat so much is that one more touchdown and it would have been the Chargers that's what I'm saying that was my exact point like yeah at at that point in the game when the score was 42 to 41 and the Browns had the ball in their hands to win to win the freaking football game Someone was going to lose that game, and both teams had 40 points. So if the Browns had gotten a couple of first downs, game over. The Chargers are on the wrong side of history with that stat line, right? Exactly. They're going to lose while allowing a team to score 42 points. They had 490-some yards, I think, at that point. Maybe it probably would have been a little bit less. But the whole point was, like, I get it. The defense played awful. The offense scored 42 points. It should have been enough to win. But guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't enough to win. And they needed 30 more yards. They needed to they needed to get 30 more yards for that game to be over. And this was a Browns offense that obviously sputtered last week. So, yes. you know, it was great to see them bounce back from the game the week prior. But I, I and and like Oh, it's just so frustrating. I, I'm not blaming Baker Mayfield. I'm not blaming. The offense did play great. But when it needed it the most, they didn't. And well, I don't know if that's on Kevin Stefanski. I don't know if that's on play calling. I wasn't happy with Kevin Stefanski. I wanted him to freaking attack. Like, just keep attacking. And he just, it's like he just. He let he up, which up. was really weird because he was very aggressive in the first three quarters of the game. And then suddenly in the fourth quarter, he's calling safe plays. Like that's what I didn't understand with Kevin Stefanski. And I posed the question earlier today of, you know, is, was this him worrying about Baker Mayfield's shoulder? And the immediate response I got was no, because with the way Baker played, if, if it was not announced the week prior that he had a partially torn labrum, you would not have been able to tell in that game that he had any kind of injury or that he was hurting in any way, shape or form. So for me, that's what I don't understand with Kevin Stefanski's play calling is why he let up towards the end. And I think what was also kind of demoralizing about this loss is because last week Baker Mayfield even said like, it's nice to know I have the defense there for me. So we don't have to score like, and this is completely paraphrasing and reading between the lines of what he said. Like, he didn't say this exactly, but essentially he was saying it. it's nice to know that they don't have to, 
that he can that he doesn't have to be at his best and the team can still win a game thanks to the defense and this week that wasn't the case the defense wasn't there the offense had to be perfect and not only did they have to be perfect they had to score on literally every single drive and that like that didn't happen and i think that was what's so frustrating from bears to vikings to now is that you had these two incredible defensive performance two weeks in a row and then all of a sudden the defense was where yeah i just think um i just think this isn't easy you know i I think everybody wants it to be really easy i think you know there's a faction of people that want to point the finger at kevin stefanski and say bad play calling lost this game and i think there's a faction of people that want to point the finger at the defense and say the defense, like Joe Woods is terrible and the defense cost us the game. Um, and, and I think there's like a group of people that want to point the finger at Jamie Gillen and be like, Jamie Gillen lost the game and people who want to point the finger at the refs and say the refs lost the game and people who this one is really inexplicable to me, but they still somehow want to point a finger at Baker Mayfield and blame Baker Mayfield for losing the game. And it's just like, if you have that many factions of people trying to point the finger at one particular person and make that person or that group of people responsible, then it's highly likely that there isn't just one answer. And I know that like Twitter kind of forces us into kind of a hot takey place because we have a limited number of characters. And I get that like hot takes are very interesting and it's fun to like bad place. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's really fun to just like kind of, and I'm not saying this about, you know, Bree's take because I get what Bree was saying. And I don't think she was saying it was one thing she was saying the defense was terrible. Yes. And which objectively it was bad. Like there's nothing incorrect about that statement. The offense could have saved us and they did it right so like that's the problem to me is that we're missing the and and really there's like you know Bree, do you want to talk about run-on sentences there's like four <laughs> there's four ands here right there are so <laughs> many moments and individuals and groups that led to this game just like n- not ending up in a win and i think to oversimplify it is to get it wrong right I think then that's again, a, yeah. you know, like it's, but like, but you know, like I said, like it's not as fun to go on Twitter and be like, you know, you don't, you don't get the interaction and it's not as hot takey and you don't drive as much traffic and you know, whatever, when you just like, like nobody wants to be like, here is a 15 point thread as to all of the things. You know, it's almost a shame that we can't do like PowerPoints on Twitter because we could literally do a PowerPoint presentation of everything that I would be the Kyle Shanahan of Twitter. (laughs) I would have like 80 80 point PowerPoints every week. I would be drafting up PowerPoints for all of the men in my mentions that were like, Uh. the offense scored enough to win though. Like if I had to hear that one more time, I was like, but clearly they didn't. Because they didn't win. <laughs> I know. It's almost like these men were like looking at the score and thinking that the Chargers like didn't score 47 points. Like okay. it was like 42 to 7 or something like that. No, it was 42 
to 47. Like, yes. it was just, it, it was really funny because I was thinking this morning that, like, I this was the shootout that we kind of expected from Minnesota last yes. week, and that didn't happen. And now we've got this shootout, and I'm not, I'm not sold on Justin Herbert. Like, people oh, love him. Mayor. People love it's him. Time, it's time to embrace. The kid's real know. good. Like, there's a few. Okay, so there's. I'm a annoyed. Few... Can I just be annoyed by that for a minute? Yes. Like, I just am annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed that he looks greasy. I'm annoyed that he can throw the football <laughs> that well. I'm annoyed that he was able to use his legs to complete first down. I'm just annoyed. Like, I'm annoyed. I, so, I... like him and Josh Allen, which annoyed. is like completely ridiculous because both of them are excellent quarterbacks, and like Josh Allen is leading the Bills to do incredible things right now. But I'm still not sold on him, and I I can't tell you why. Like that's. I like to consider myself a rational person and that I have really logical thoughts, but my feelings on Josh Allen, not rational, not logical in any way, shape or form. I'm not sold on him, even though the eye test tells me that I should be the numbers test tells me that I should be. I don't know what it is about him. I think it's just because I'm really angry that not like angry, maybe more frustrated that he seems to be doing better in Buffalo than Baker is doing in in Cleveland, and I feel like it should be the other way around. And yeah, pe- I like, think and people too- love him in Buffalo. Like they're like they worship the ground he walks on. And I'm like, we should kind of be doing the same thing to Baker Mayfield. Like, why are people like? I mean, I didn't see it as much this week, but like last week, people were really getting on Baker Mayfield, and I was just like. And like, I think that's why I'm not sold on Josh Allen. Like I said, it's not anything. It's completely emotional. It is not at all logical or rational at all. I think it's fair to say, though, that like the thing that we have all lived through for the past 20 years and like the thing that wasn't fair, right? The thing that we shouldn't have had to live through was just like abject dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what is understandably frustrating is watching a quarterback who, I mean, I haven't hit it. I haven't hidden this. Like Baker Mayfield was at the top of my board the year he was drafted. I was very excited about that. Josh was not. Um, and uh, I, but he got, he walked into the best possible situation right. and Baker walked into the worst possible situation. Yeah. Um, and I don't mind being honest about the fact that like Josh is playing better than Baker right now. I just, Sometimes I I think where my frustration comes is we don't talk about when we do compare them. And also, I don't I mean, the comparison is whatever to me. Like, I don't know if I feel the need to do that. I don't know if the comparison is necessarily relevant. Like, I don't need my quarterback to play more like any other quarterback as long as my quarterback helps me win football games. But um but like I think the reason the comparison can be so frustrating at times is because we don't talk about the whole context of the comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I don't begrudge Josh the you know the experience that he's had in Buffalo, but I do feel bad for Baker sometimes that what he was asked to do, literally not a single quarterback in the previous twenty years was capable of doing, and he came in and did it and we're winning and we went to the playoffs and he it has a torn labrum and he went out and played so well this week and he still takes shit and sometimes I'm like what do you people want well (laughs) I will say this about this week me personally and this could just be like anecdotal and what I'm exposed to because I have not spent too terribly much time on social media today 
but I have not really seen anywhere near as much criticism of Baker after the Chargers loss that I did after the Vikings win. Like there was definitely a lot of Baker criticism last week, but I didn't really see too terribly much of it today. But I felt like a lot of people were defending him. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what defending him from what? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a couple folks in my mentions, um, like, going after Baker. And also, like, I think partially using Baker as an excuse for Kevin Stefanski's play calling. So saying, like, I didn't like Kevin Stefanski's play calling at the end of the game, but he was doing that to protect Baker And if we had a better or different quarterback, he would not have had to adjust in that way. And so it's essentially that the bad play calling of Stefanski is like on Baker. Baker. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just. And so, I mean, for me, that's really where it it comes from. It's just like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it, that is me, some... it feels like there's a constant mental gymnastics. Yes. Yeah. Mental gymnastics to place the blame on Baker for something that like, I mean, Pete and I talk about this all the time. Like at some point, if you've dug in on a narrative and you're presented with clear evidence that like there is at least a, you know, some sort of a gap in your, uh reasoning and you can't even like consider that momentarily even if you still end up in the same place like at some point like whatever there's nothing i can do about it like if that's the narrative that you're gonna be all in on that's fine what makes me sad is like i don't care when the national media is in on a narrative what bums me out about browns fans being in on the narrative is like this is what we were waiting for yeah this team is what we've been waiting for for 20 years and you guys are missing it. You're missing yeah. it. It's happening right in front of you. The thing that you have begged for, you have a competent head coach and you're furious with him. You have a good quarterback and you're upset with him. You have a really good defensive coordinator and you're mad at him. Like I just, and we're, I understand we're three and two to be honest. This is, this is the record I had us projected at at this point. There's still no reason we cannot win 13 games this season. Like, and you're going to miss it because you're so upset. And at some point I just feel like there's like a commitment to misery that like that, the like that really the only, um, I get frustrated sometimes, but really I think underlying my frustration is actually just like a deep sadness. Um, that my like my people right my people are missing this thing and i just like i am i didn't like losing but man i liked watching that game yeah that was if i have to lose a game i want to lose it like that i don't want to lose it yeah we, didn't. we used to lose yes. football well, games. even like i'm sorry but like this is not a popular opinion either i'm just gonna go full on out with the hot takes but like this loss was more exciting to watch than last week's win against the hey Vikings. guys uh i hate to break in here because this is uh the radio producer and me i feel like we would be remiss if i didn't bring this up and we don't have to go into it but i just got a notification uh john gruden officially out (gasps) as the raiders head coach after his misogynistic and uh homophobic language 
surfaced in his emails. So good, good for them. In breaking, addition, breaking in addition news. to the like racially insensitive emails yes. from earlier. Yeah. So yeah. So I thought you were going to tell me that our headphones were off. That was way no. better of a break Let it be known, 9.30 p.m. on October 11th, because that is the date and time that it is as we're recording. John Gruden is no longer the head coach uh, of the Raiders. So, yeah, there's your breaking news for you, ladies. Mayor, you're very, very good at this. Um, I am literally literally just sitting here with my (laughs) mouth, like, gaping open. And it's not because I don't think that it's not deserved. It's not that I don't think that it wasn't the right thing for the Raiders to do. It's just like, I don't know what's maybe what's maybe sad is that um, I shouldn't be so surprised that maybe like the team held him accountable, but I feel like so often um, certain people like don't get held accountable. Yes. Um, But also like, you know, they held him accountable in the context of like, they owe that man a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. they're going to have to pay him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's, I mean, the unless there's that... a clause, unless there's a clause in his contract, there might um, be. Like... Cause I think that's one of the reasons why um, I don't think the Jaguars want to fire Urban Meyer because no, 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 unless wait. they can. Merit, did it say um, he resigned, correct? Wait, did he resign? Oh, okay. Cause Hang if on. he resigned, all I the notification said that he's out. So, oh, okay. So, so I don't know coach. if that means that. Okay, I just looked at yeah, my I... phone. Um, Raiders head coach will step down after email. Okay, so... racist, sexist, oh, so... remarks were oh. made. Okay, I'm so sure yeah, they may talking not... to him and pretty much were like, Yeah, y- y- the, the right thing for, for you to do in this situation is this is leave. literally the only way and you we're can not save paying face. you. <laughs> well, yeah, because they because they pulled John Gruden out of the broadcast booth. For this don't job. be a shitty human. Yeah, and don't, and I like, don't, and I would highly, I would be highly upset if he got another broadcast job out of this. But there's no way he's, he's yeah. Done. But like, I mean, the only way he can really save face on this is to resign. And what I was saying with like Urban Meyer and the Jaguars, like one of the reasons why I don't think they want that they would that if the Jaguars want Urban Meyer out, like I don't have any inside information. This is just you know my thirty thousand foot view. If the Jaguars want Urban Meyer out, I'm sure they would prefer that he quit because if they fire him and they can't invoke right. the morality clause, then yeah, they owe him a ton of money. And I think that would be like the same thing. Cause I, I, I have a feeling I, I would, I would be surprised if head coaches don't all have similar language and all their contracts across the 32 teams. So I'm sure that's what like Nicole was absolutely right with John Gruden is if they, if he was fired by the Raiders, then yeah, they're going to owe him a lot of money. But if he stepped down, then they may not owe him anywhere near as much. I don't know how much of his contract they would owe him for him quitting, but that is huge. Okay, so who in the 2021 bingo had John Gruden leaving the NFL or at least losing his head coaching job before Urban Meyer? Yeah, nope. Did not. Yeah, did not have that one on my bingo card. What a wild, what a wild couple of weeks for the NFL. I mean, it has been crazy. Yeah, so much drama. So, I mean, listen, I'm just so happy that, like, we are not dealing with this. Like, once again, like, the Browns have not been in any of these types of conversations. Right. So the only thing that's frustrating about the Browns is purely football. Like, yes. Everything, it's all 
on the field. There's no off the field drama with the Browns right now. And this is the drama that we would prefer. But, you know, if you look at Twitter, everyone, you know, you would <laughs> you would think that people would want more off the field controversy or something <sighs> because you know. I, going back to Nicole's point, like I had to remind myself of this before we started recording as well. We are five games in with a three and two record. Like, mm-hmm. I have to always remember, you're not going to win every single football game. As much as you would like to think that your team is going to go 17-0 and for the season, it's not going to happen. Like, there will be losses. And I know that it sucks and there are no good losses, but I think when I go back and look at this game, you know, we wanted to see the offense bounce back. We wanted to see Baker have a good game, and that is what we saw. So, I mean – there wasn't it's as painful and as frustrating as that game was when it ended. I think there were at least some good things that we could take out of it. And I don't want to jump ahead into our rundown. We're going to talk about all of it. And we did allude to this earlier on in the show. Um, do we have enough index fingers to point blame for where this loss falls? Um, and I want to touch on a few things here because as Nicole mentioned earlier, or Meredith, one of you guys mentioned it. If you go onto Brown's Twitter, there's a lot of blaming going on. Um, and it's it's pretty spread out across the board. I think the one thing that we would all agree on for the most part as a collective fan base was the refs. Um, I clearly think they got it wrong. Um, Multiple times. A couple times. of times. Yes. Multiple times. <laughs> um, but Bree, really quickly before you yeah. go into this, because I think we skipped over something you just said that's really, really, really important. And so I just want to like remind everyone of this. There are four teams in NFL history that have ever had undefeated seasons. It's the 34 Bears, the 42 Bears, the 72 Dolphins, and the 2007 New England Patriots. It almost never happens. So to your point, like, we were going to lose games this season. And when people go on Twitter and they say, like, well, great quarterbacks don't <laughs> lose games like this. Great quarterbacks get the win at the end of the game. Sure, sometimes. And also, sometimes they don't. Yes. And, like, great coaches don't screw up that play call. Sure, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they do or don't manage the clock well. Oh my God, like Andy Reid is a Hall of Fame coach and he is having an amazing run with the Chiefs, but do we all remember why he got run out of Philadelphia? It was clock management. Yep, okay. Speaking of Philadelphia. So I'm just wanna, I just wanna like, I just wanna touch on that point that Brie made because I think it's really important and like back to my point about like, let's enjoy this. There are going to be games that we lose. I'm not going to say, I'm not, I'm not saying we should enjoy the losses. It's not fun to lose, but if you're losing the bigger picture and you're losing the success in each loss, then I, I mean, I guess you can do that. I mean, power to you. It just kind of bums me out. Okay. So here's what I'm going to say. I said this last week on the pod. I have said this. Uh, very publicly on on a, on radio, I I will say this over and over and over again. You don't have to be Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. See example, Nick Foles. Like I am going to get to the point where I might just go to eBay and buy a Nick Foles Philadelphia Eagles jersey just because I want to be like, listen, guys, like 
Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Nick Foles is, and and Foles managed to win a Super Bowl. So, like, don't sit here and be upset that Baker Mayfield is not Josh Allen. Don't be angry that he's not Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. He's also Lam- not Nick Foles. He is considerably right. better than Nick Foles. Exactly, exactly. Like, he is way better than Nick Foles. So don't lament the fact that Baker Mayfield is never going to be as good of a quarterback as Patrick Mahomes when he doesn't need to be. When there's enough talent on the team that can that the Super Bowl is still well within the grasp of this team. And I'm going to, like, I'm going to bring up Nick Foles every single week until the Super Bowl is no longer within this team's grasp. Like, that's what I'm going to do. The one that my husband and I talk about all the time, because I don't know if folks know this, but I talk about on Twitter a lot, but the dude is a Broncos fan. And so what we laugh about all the time is, like, the last Broncos Super Bowl in 2016, everybody's like, Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl. And we just, like, laugh hysterically. heck no. Peyton Manning didn't (laughs) win the Super Bowl. Peyton, and they, you know, we listen to people complain about, Peyton Manning's um, a game Baker, manager. Baker being a game manager. <laughs> Peyton Manning was the ultimate yes, game, yes, game yes. manager in 2016. And the defense won the yes. Super Bowl for Bron- for the Broncos. So it's just like, yeah. And like, and I'm also like, oh my God, you want to talk about a hot take that like gets you like bounced from Twitter. Like I'm still a defense wins championships girl. And like, man, does nobody want to hear that in the modern NFL. And no. so- so I just, but I mean that's kind of true from yesterday because if the defense was because I even said that like on Twitter I tried to do like my little manifesting thing when there was like five minutes left in the game and the Browns were up and the and the Chargers had the ball I tried to manifest a defensive hold and unfortunately it didn't happen the Chargers scored but that goes exactly to your point Nicole is that if the Browns defense was able to hold it off, then this would be a very different conversation today. And that go and that is very much exemplary of the defense does win championships take. Yeah. Well, anyway, sorry, Bree. I, I know I derailed this a little bit, but no. like, I just, I thought you made such a good point and I didn't want to like, let it run away from us. No, yeah, thank don't, you. don't get distracted I, I by John Gruden. I, yeah, no, I really did get lost in the loss from yesterday like I truly was not thinking big picture and and how much season there is ahead of us and like again like not that you want to enjoy a loss but like in looking back at it like it was a really fun game and the Browns were in it until the very last minute and there have been so many games we've gotten blown out by we've been embarrassed by I mean that was two years ago where those things were happening. So yeah, it's, this it's team just, is this team is so well coached. They knew yes. that they were supposed to push the Chargers into the end zone to get the ball back at the end of the game. Like I don't that made that me laugh. is not I what, did have to that laugh is not what that. would have happened. I mean, that was like I was talking about this on Twitter. It was like simultaneously, like I was so devastated and also so proud of us. It was like such conflicting emotions <laughs> at the same time. Because I was like, well, that really sucks that they scored. But, man, am I proud that they know what they are, like, situational. we're playing situational football. Oh, my God. Like, this was the dream. And we're yes. doing it. So, yes. I mean, I don't, yeah. Anyway, back to, back to We have to go back we to the rest, going. though. Because, yes. I mean, we'll talk about the DPI scene around the world. I mean, literally, these were not just biased Browns fans talking about no, when Colin can Colin Cowherd is saying that the Browns got robbed it's real bad exactly yeah. exactly um it, and honestly like this probably hurt the most because of when it happened I mean this was a fourth down the Chargers like this gave them life Th- this call 
pretty much sealed them going down the field to score. If if this call did happen, who knows what the outcome would have been. I mean, we could have went three and out and given it right back to them. I don't know. But to me, the defense, this was so deflating for them. Because at this point, they were dropping like flies. I mean, they were on their third string cornerback at this point in the game. Miles Garrett was again like huffing and puffing. Um, they were just gassed. And when you have something like that happen, I can imagine it's probably really hard for them to regroup. But I don't know if that was just me feeling like that was kind of a turning point in the game. So I will say this about referees. Um, Any fan base is going to be upset because they think the refs are hosing hosing them. Now, in the Browns game against the Chargers, there were some very blatant calls. I mean, we can go back to the Chiefs game last year with that targeting that that was never called on Hollywood Higgins. So like there have been some very, very blatant ones on, on the Browns uh, or some blatant non-calls. But like, if you ask any fan base, they're going to say that the refs are against them. Um, And then my other thing with the refs is you never want to be in a position where the refs are the reason you win or lose a game. Like you should never be in that position in the first place. And that's kind of where the Browns were. And this is, this is the the rational take that I have developed from being a Virginia tech football fan for so long, because there have been so many times where the Hokies have lost games that they should have won because of a missed block in the back or, you know, a non call on holding or something like that. So the refs yesterday were really egregious, and I think what's unfortunate is that I don't think it's going to get any better because every fan base is going to say the refs are terrible. They're all going to be upset. Um, I think the most important thing for the Browns is to just not put themselves in that position where a non-call or a wrong call is going to completely swing the game for them. Yeah, so that's I think, the really I think hard you're part. Right. I think you're right, Mary. And I think, like, we heard even, like, Baker came out and was like, just send me the fine letter now. Like, he, he knew. And he was <laughs> he was calling out, actually, interestingly, like, there was there were two um, pretty top, like, missed holding slash DPI calls yes. on, um, on the Chargers at the end of the game, one on DPJ and one on, uh, on Richard Higgins, which, like, also, let's be clear about this. Like, DPJ and Richard Higgins are not getting the good calls. Like I, and I'm not even saying that from the perspective of like, you know, I think I hate when people are like, Oh, it's fixed or like, Oh, whatever. But like, it's just a fact, like Tom Brady gets and Drew Brees got protected more than other people. Like, you know, like it's just, I don't, I think, I don't think it's like purposeful favoring. I think a lot of times it's just like kind of unconscious, bias around like what you're looking at and who you're looking at um but like you know there were there were some pretty bad ones but even when baker called that out he said we cannot be in a position where the ref can impact the game and so i think that you know i think yes there were egregious calls i think yes you don't want to allow to be in a situation where the refs can have that big of an impact. I think what's really tricky though, and this is just like true is that, you know, Mary, you talk about the Hokies, like there's so much parody in the NFL and we don't, this is another thing with like losing games. Like we don't realize this, like the worst team in the NFL is just not 
that far from the best team in the NFL. Yes. Like it in comparison to like when you look at college football or like certain other sports, like there's so much parity in this league. And so I think what's really tough is so many games are so close. Like Pete and I have talked about this on the public. The vast majority of games are decided by under eight points. And so when refs calls can have that big of an impact in a league where there's so much parity, I think that's why people get so frustrated. I personally am on Joe Thomas's side. Get a freaking sky judge. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, what's really interesting. And I actually kind of I've seen some people complain about this, but I think it's just, you know, a, a random person on Twitter every once in a while. But I kind of love the new camera angles where it low key kind of looks like Madden. Like I, I love those high definition shots with like the rack focus and it's a little more cinematic, but like if, if we can get those kinds of cameras on Sunday night football, then I don't see why we can't get, cause here's another thing that I, I've never really understood is like what, like what replay are the refs looking at versus what we are getting on a television broadcast because like they'll show over and over again a replay on a tv broadcast and they'll do it in slow motion they'll do it frame by frame and you can look at something and say okay well his knee was clearly down before the ball crossed the plane that's not a touchdown okay we can see that or you know we can see this kind of targeting we can see this horse collar we can see this holding like what are like are the like do the refs not have as good of a quality of replay as the TV broadcast does that they don't see those kinds of things? That's one of the things that like uh, of all of the insight that I could ever have in this industry. That's one that I have none, and I get so confused by because it feels very weird when fans see something on TV and the commentators see something on TV and everyone is very clearly seeing the same thing. And then suddenly the refs come out with a completely different call than what's expected. That's one of the things that I'll never be able to wrap my head around. Cause we don't know what those refs are looking at in their little, I don't know, in their, their little booth there. So I don't know, but that does get frustrating. And I feel like with all the technology that's out there, like the refs, the refs should be the ones with the most high quality replay out of anyone. So they can see what's going on. Yeah, agree. Maybe someday that'll happen. In the meantime, like we said, there was plenty of other blame to go around, and yeah. we really should not have been in that position. Yeah, well, we'll go right into it because the defense kind of plays right into that. Um, so uh, it felt like there was an injured player after every series, honestly. Um, and you were already starting a game without Jadavion Clowney and without Greg Newsom out, missing his second game. Um, Denzel Ward went out with a neck injury. Um, Greedy Williams went out early in the game, but then he came back in. Um, at one point at the end of the game, Miles had to leave the field. I was like full on panic mode at that point in time when he was laying there clutching his knee. Um, but he did come back in the game. JOK goes down. Um, and at one point, AJ Green and Troy Hill were being checked out and evaluated. So, I mean, this is like, literally, M- I was MJ, like who? MJ Stewart was out too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, MRI, and so yeah. at one point I was like, do we have enough cornerbacks that could come play this game or will someone have to play that position from the offense? Like I, I was in, I, I was like, I don't know how they're going to finish this game. Like, do they have enough players? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, the, the injuries are absolutely worrisome. That's what I'm the most worried about coming out of this yeah. week. And especially when you are looking ahead at Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, not great. 
Oh, great. Um, the defense also, there were two really, really bad um, blown coverages um, or a miscommunication. As Kevin Stefanski mentioned today in his press conference that netted 14 points. Um, I was kind of wondering if Andrew Sandejo was back on the field, honestly. Um, <laughs> it felt very reminiscent of last year, like watching last year's defense. It should feel reminiscent of last year, Bree. You want to know why? Because our safeties are terrible in coverage. So listen, I got accused on Twitter of being pathetic for my intense um, oh, no. defense of Joe Woods. Joe Woods. Um, and like, that's fine. People can think that. That's okay. Um I do think Joe Woods is a good defensive coordinator. I think he's been, I think he was a good defensive back coach and I think he's a good defensive coordinator. And like one game where our defense didn't play well after they played stunningly incredible games for two games is not going to be the thing that like wholesale changes my opinion on Joe Woods. Um, I do have a legitimate question though, because our corners are playing well. Like Greedy Williams is our third corner. And he currently has an 85-8 rating from PFF, which is the second highest in the NFL. So he is coming in for Greg Newsome and balling out. He has so many tackles. This is a guy who coming out of LSU was like not known for being a great tackler, (laughs) but it was like, it's okay. He is a good ball hawk and he is tackling like a monster. And, um, And even A.J. Green, who had to come in because Ward went out, like, he did have some big screw-ups in that game, and they were costly. However, he's our, you know, our fourth corner. He's mostly a special teams guy, and he played decently well um, during the game, and he continues to be so good on special teams. Um, And so when I contrast that, however, with our safeties, I get really, really frustrated. Grant Delpit currently has a 47.6 coverage grade from PFF. Ronnie Harrison, who last year had a 74.4 coverage grade, 54.2. Last year, John Johnson III had one of the highest safety coverage grades in the league at 85.6. Anybody want to take bets on what it is this year? Anybody want to guess? He's been bad. 46 4. He's the worst out of all three of them. That's so disappointing. You guys, we have a safeties problem and we need to talk about it. And I will say this. We have a safety problem. We have a safety problem. It is not safe. It is not safe. It feels not safe, um, mostly for my like anxiety and blood pressure during games. I legitimately don't know what's happening Wait, so out there. can I ask a question because last year we were harping about safeties right I, I mean it was, yeah but that's because Andrew Sandejo was legitimately bad yes so last year we were like okay we don't have the right players right we don't have the right personnel to be running this defense but now you go and upgrade which you would think is an upgrade from anyone's an upgrade from Andrew Sandejo but I don't know if that's actually happening so what what is happening because you have better players this year but they're not yielding results. Yeah, so I think that this is the one area where a critique of the scheme is valid at this point in the season. I will say this. I couldn't actually go back and watch 
what exactly our safeties were doing on a couple of these completely blown coverages because you cannot get coaches film on game pass until like really late in the week. So I cannot tell you exactly what was happening. Um, but I will say there's been a couple times from JJ three that just like look like straight up effort issues to me. And I mm. find that incredibly frustrating. We paid you a lot of money yeah. to come play here, play better. And that's not to say that like, it's all on him i like i said when all three are not playing up to what you would like to see um i think it's i think it's valid to question scheme i just i don't know if it is necessarily scheme i it from my perspective it also appears that there are potentially some cover like issues with like knowing what to do or like doing it well from a coverage perspective um, I will also say, like, they all they all are doing decently against the run, and they're yes. blitzing well when they're being asked to blitz. So I just, like, yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say. Because I do like Joe Woods, and because he does adjust to his opponent every week, I am optimistic that we will see an improvement from the safeties. But if not, I think it's, like, to me, this is your weak link on defense right now. Because the defensive line is crazy. They are so good. Malik McDowell, again, comes mm -hmm. out of nowhere, has an amazing, amazing game. Um, I love, it. I love Jay, that they call them Malik's in the middle. That That's like my yeah, favorite thing. The, there's the so – I love – you guys, watching Malik McDowell, like, jump up and down on the sidelines and, like, recover fumbles and get sacks after what this guy has been through in the last four years brings me – endless endless joy um and you know i just you know we got to get connie back out on the field because i think him and miles together are yes. substantially more productive than when they're trying to do things by themselves um but like the the line is not a problem the corners are not a problem um linebackers like i gotta tell you like i know we were all excited to have anthony walker back out on the field and I don't know if I felt like that was a personnel upgrade this week. Um, I also will say, Mac Wilson, please, please. I know that people get really mad when I crap on Mac Wilson. So I'm just going to ask nicely if you could please wrap people up when you tackle because you're a linebacker and that's your only job. I think, only played, I think he only played four snaps on, on defense. But they were glaringly, you knew. You knew when he was in. Well, it was the, oh, I mean, goodness. one was the touchdown where, like, I. He well, ran by his own player and, like, tackled air. What it was is, weird. What were, I, it was so bad. Like, please just, it's your only job. Um, yeah. You have one job. That's you, have one... The, you have one job. Um, but, like, you know, JOK was hurt and he was in and out. He didn't have the, like, kind of amazing game that he's had the last two games, but he didn't play terribly when he was in. It's just. We seem to have a safety problem. They need to sort it out. Yeah. My biggest disappointment so far has been both John Johnson and Troy Hill. Like, Yeah, he's been I really mean, inconsistent. I was, I was absolutely stoked for Troy Hill when Barry made that move in the offseason. And, like, we've got these podcasts to prove it. Like, after, the, after those moves were made, I was, like, singing – love sonnets to Troy Hill because I really thought that he was going to be such a huge impact on this defense. Like I was a huge fan of John Johnson and I knew he was going to make a difference, but I just felt like Troy Hill was kind of like the JOK 
of the situation where he was not the first choice, but he was a second choice, but he was going to make an impact. And I don't know, maybe the number 23 is cursed because that's the number he's wearing this year. And that's what Anderson Dejo wore last year. So I don't know, maybe on the football field, two, three is cursed and he needs to change his Jersey number. I don't know what's going on, but he's my... playing incredible against the run. Like his run coverage. Yeah. Is amazing. He's blitzing. He's, he's getting tackles for losses. Like he's, playing screens really well but when he's just asked to do his like slot coverage job it's not that it's always bad it's just really highly inconsistent right and that's and that's the part that's the most frustrating is that you can't rely on him for that reason I think the defense is going to be fine if they can find a way to get healthy and stay healthy I think they're gonna I think they're gonna figure it out I think it's interesting that you bring up Anthony Walker, though, Nicole, because that was one thing that did seem a little bit like a head-scratcher. Um, it almost felt like the defense had started to gel the last couple of weeks and really kind of come on together. And then you throw in – I mean, I assume he was the Mike in yesterday's game, right? Because he was yep. before going out. So, like, yep. did, did that kind of throw them off a bit? And then I think the other thing – the line play, um, you know, I think not having Jadavion Clowney on the line yesterday, like, was a pretty big impact because those two together, him and Miles together, they are game wreckers with the Maliks in the middle. And I do think that does take a little bit of pressure off of the back end from the safeties and, and the coverage. And you didn't really have that. Like, I didn't feel like that the Chargers had to really worry about it as much um, because they didn't have that other factor. Um, so, I don't know. I think health, like, that's that's going to be the big question mark as, as we head into Sunday. Yeah. I just think it's fair to say that, like, I don't think you can blame all of the defensive words yesterday on injuries. Like to, you know, like I said, like greedy and AJ green came in and like, they stepped up Uh, at the same time. You can't pretend like the injuries don't have an impact on the game. I mean, and they were like, even the injuries were inconsistent. (laughs) It's so weird to say that, but it was like you'd have one person go down and then they'd come back in. And then you have another. Like, you had no idea who was going to be playing in the next snap. Like, that, that is tough to try to figure out on the fly, especially when you spend an entire week at practice playing with specific players and figuring out what you're going to do and scheme up. I mean, that's a big adjustment that you have to make. Yeah, and it's especially big adjustment when you don't just play one scheme. So, like, if you want to talk about maybe a potential downside to the way Joe Woods um, plans for and executes on Sundays, is that it is highly customized. He play like, it is very situational. Um, you know, the amount that they play in man versus the amount that they play in zone, how they use their linebackers, the number of linebackers they have versus how often they're in dime like these things are very they're highly customized week to week and they are highly customized to our personnel which when you have those folks available to you is great and when you don't you don't want to see the level of fall off that we saw on Sunday but also like there's there's going to be an impact and like what I want to see is like how to if we're going to have injury issues how by the end of last year joe woods had almost injury proofed the defense right like we were sending guys out to play corner not on special teams like on the field to play corner against the chiefs 
and starting starting the game who had no business and like and we won and or still defended like an incredibly like high-powered offense really well i just i don't think we're there yet with this group of guys um and i'm gonna trust that he can do it again this year the same way he did it last year yeah, I mean, even so, and, and we'll move on from the defense, um, because obviously they did give up the 47 points, which, I'm, okay, I'm not going to say 47, because they scored a touchdown for the Chargers. Like, they pushed them into the pile. Like, they did that on purpose. So, okay, they scored 40 points. Um, anyway, um, the one thing about the defense, they I mean, they did recover a fumble. They got to the quarterback to get off the field on one of the, th- I think it was a third and five, potentially, um, so, I mean, they did step up and make some plays. Obviously, they couldn't get off the field at the end of the game. Um, but I will say, like, when you look at the Chargers, they also couldn't stop anything. But then when it came right down to it, they got their team off the field. So I, I want to see the defense really step up at the end of the game, make a play, get off the field. Um, I mean, we can't seem to stop a fourth down conversion. I think the Chargers were, what, four for four on fourth down? Yeah, that was so frustrating. And then the fact that the Browns were unable to convert fourth downs themselves. Oh, we got to talk about this. Can we can we go right <gasps> into the offense? And, and so I have, the play I have calls? one. Yes, but I, I have one theory about Nicole's mentions before we move on. So because you because you were saying about how people were getting angry in your mentions about Joe Woods. And, and here's my theory on that is because, Nicole, you have never wavered in your support of Joe Woods, whereas everyone else was saying for weeks, fire Joe Woods. They, they were saying last year, fire Joe Woods, which people were saying that's absurd. You can't, you know, you can't put lipstick on a pig. And that was essentially what he was trying to do with the defense last year. But you've, and you did have, in fact managed to do it. Yeah. And so you have, you have always been supportive of Joe Woods. And now that the defense, you know, with the exception of, of Sunday, but we'll, we'll talk about the Bears game and the Vikings game where the defense gelled and they looked incredible, it becomes a hashtag Nicole was right, hashtag Browns babe was right. And I think it just makes the Joe Woods haters so mad that they would they would rather blow things up than admit that they were wrong about Joe Woods. We got to get over this, guys. Like, we got to stop blowing stuff up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, we've I don't already like, got... <laughs> I don't like to live in, like, a bombshell of, like a football landscape listen like, listen nicole it's your fault for being right about things okay, okay well i apologize to everyone for <laughs> for my joel woods loyalty um you know like it's it's not like unconditional love like i want answers about what's happening with the safeties it's just like in the big scheme of things like i said we gotta stop blowing things up yeah <laughs> shall we move into the play calls in the offense Oh yeah. God! Do we have to? Yeah, we yeah I mean, that. we'll we'll just breeze through it, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> angrily, angrily breeze through it. I mean, at this point, I don't know what else to say. So, I want to talk about the aggressiveness, or I guess lack thereof. Um, so the Browns are pretty quick to go for for fourth downs. Um, in fact, I saw Jake Trotter t- tweeted this during the game yesterday. The Browns under Kevin Stefanski, and this dates back to last year, obviously, they are 12 for 33 on fourth down conversions. Um, Two things, though, that I find interesting about Kevin Stefanski and when he decides to go for it on fourth down, um, he's aggressive in that nature, but yet 
before the half when we recovered that fumble, we had the ball obviously in scoring position and we didn't take a shot at the end zone. Um, settling for a field goal. Oh my God. (laughs) Thank you for bringing this up. I, everybody was so mad about what happened at the end of the game. And I just, it was second and one and third and one right before the half. You have a timeout. Yes. The two best runners in the league and the 29th ranked run defense, who you have run all yeah, over right. for 29 and a half minutes. Run the freaking ball, get a first down, <laughs> call a timeout, and then take two to three shots in the end zone. What are you doing? We're supposed to just go through this very smoothly. See, you're I'm angry. Sorry. I know. I'm so sorry. It's, it is so true, though. I, like... It's mind-boggling to me. Like, it's like he's aggressive, but then he's not aggressive in these specific situations. I really, I really can't wrap my head around this. Um, and you're exactly right. Like, you have two really good running backs, and you need a yard. One yard! And weren't we one of the best teams last year? Wasn't Baker one of the best quarterbacks last year in the red zone? Yeah. Yeah, the they have struggled in the red zone this year. And that's one of the things that I'm just sitting there scratching my head. And at one point, like with Nick Chubb, like you could just, he could literally fall over and get four yards. <laughs> right? I mean, and Kareem Hunt I just can don't... roll over someone. That's what he does. He just Yeah, rolls. like Kareem Hunt could sneeze and get a first down. So I don't know where Kevin Stefanski's head was with the play calling. It felt very weird. So also, and I was thinking about it because again, like this is what I spend my days thinking about is there like Kevin Stefanski has made a lot of very risky calls and some risky plays in the past with the Browns. And a lot of times they've worked. Like I remember saying very specifically last year with a lot of those banana plays where OBJ was lobbing the ball down the field or Jarvis Landry was throwing the ball down the field and they were making connections and everyone was like, oh my God, this is great. Kevin Stefanski so brilliant. This is perfect. And I remember sitting there thinking like if, Jarvis throws the ball to Baker and Baker doesn't catch it or it gets tipped or something happens where the play doesn't work. Kevin Stefanski's not the smartest coach in the world, but because those <clears throat> plays were working, you know, he was he was brilliant. He's coach of the year and all this other stuff. And so I, I'm wondering if a lot of this frustration is just coming from the fact that these plays aren't working. Like how many times has he called, especially last week too, against the Vikings where he was going for it on fourth down and the offense on the field just could not execute it. Like if they were able to get those one or two fourth down conversions, again, it's a very different conversation today. So I I almost wonder if it's, teams kind of like other coaches kind of figuring Kevin Stefanski out a little bit where they kind of expect him to go for it on fourth down or they expect, cause we haven't seen a lot of these trick plays with wide receivers throwing the balls. Okay. I'm interested. I'm, like I, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. My dad in our family group chat texted after the game and said the chargers coach Staley almost coached and called plays like Kevin Stefanski used to do last year. And like, I don't know if, Kevin is thinking too much or if he's 
maybe a little bit fearful. It just felt like we were much looser last year with some of these plays. Like we were having fun. Like there was creativity. Like I really am kind of struggling to figure out like what could have changed between last year and this year. And there could be that there's a year of tape on the Browns now and Kevin Stefanski right. and, and their schemes and what they like to do. And um, you're also obviously also down <clears throat> some really good linemen. So there's also that that you have to factor into in your game planning. But yeah, it, it did feel like it does feel like in some of these situations, he has been out coached and it feels like we're saying this more often than we want to be saying this. I mean, I, I still love the guy. Like, I still have full faith and trust in him. I mean, like Nicole said at the beginning of the show, like, we have a really good coach and a really good football team. Like, we we should still be very – like, we shouldn't want to fire Kevin Stefanski. And I think I saw someone actually calling oh, yeah. for him to be fired today. Oh, of course. There were, like, there were definitely some of those calls in Sports Talk Radio today, and I, I saw a little bit of that on Twitter, and I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like – Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry are the absolute perfect pair together for this team. And I really just think it comes down to the fact that some of these calls, when, when Kevin Stefanski is making aggressive calls and they're not happening, then all of a sudden that's when people are getting mad saying, oh, he's a bad coach. And in some of these instances, you have to look at the people on the field and saying, well, no, that was the correct call. It's just the personnel on the field couldn't execute it. So you know, it, it's a completely different story if, you know, those fourth downs get converted. So it's, I am not worried about Kevin Stefanski. Like, does the play calling perplex me? Yes, absolutely. Because there have been a few times where he definitely didn't seem like he was making the right call, where he didn't feel like he was being appropriately aggressive, like especially towards the end of that game where, where he really should have trusted Baker. And it didn't seem like he did, although I know that he does. But that's really what it comes down to is that Kevin Stefanski is an excellent coach. And for the people who are calling for his head, I just I feel like they're so reactionary and they're like all of the people in Nicole's mentions who just want to blow things up. And that's not that's not how you, you don't win Super Bowls by blowing things up the minute you're unhappy with you something. Guys, you guys don't want to relive the last 20 years and just keep firing coaches <laughs> and coordinators and This is only this is only my fifth like this is only my fifth season with the Browns and I'm already over it. <laughs> like, um I like listen, like even even the people who are like Maybe he should just give up play calling duties. Listen, I just ranted about oh God, a play I, call. That wasn't wait, that Nicole. That I was just, an actual question at the press conference. Today. I know, I I know, I know, and like, I want like, I just ranted about a a play call in a situation that I completely disagreed with his choices. Right. Um. Flip side, other than those like two calls at the end of the first half that first half was beautiful yes it was stunning the use of david njoku like and this goes back to like we have so many different weapons and we call upon them so strategically against the right opponents and like the run game and like games where we use chubb more versus games where we use hunt more because we know that their running styles are going to be more effective against a particular defense. Like we crushed it with tight ends this game. And also we used them more because we needed them more on the field because dear God, James Hudson. Um, 
like, but they're if they're gonna be on the field because they're helping to block, like have them start blocks and then run out and catch screens and make crazy like forty yard plays like David Njoku did, like that two point conversion underhanded flip thing to Austin Hooper was so beautiful. I am not willing to throw away so much good for one or two frustrating moments. I'm not going to do it. And so, like, I can simultaneously be super frustrated about some of the play calls. Like, and I think Kevin Stefanski's frustrated himself. He said he was literally sick over the draw that he called on third and 10 with three minutes left. And he should be sick. It was the wrong call. It was bad. But this is a baby out with the bathwater moment for me, and I'm not doing it. Yeah, and if you want to compare Kevin Stefanski to past coaches, like the past two specifically, if you want to talk about Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams and Hugh Jackson, like... No, I don't when... want to talk about them anymore. That's <laughs> the just... point. But like, here's... But like... I, and the, but you're gonna like the comparison. I promise. I, I have a point. I swear. I like ca- counselor, counselor. I have a point. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> when, when those types of questions were proposed to Hugh Jackson in press conferences after games, when his play calling was questioned, it was, "I'm driving the bus. I need to watch the tape." It was just, it was pure frustration and pure anger, and he never really answered the questions and arrogance. Yes, whereas Kevin Stefanski takes responsibility, and that's a huge thing. And I feel like we talk we talk about it all the time, like us in in our little circle. And sometimes I feel like people outside of that world, like outside of our little bubble of football fandom and our group of friends, like I feel like people don't give Kevin Stefanski enough credit for the fact that he can openly admit when he's made a mistake and you know he doesn't make the same mistake twice like that's not going to happen again and he's not going to blame his players he's not going to defer to watching tape later you know in the same way that Hugh Jackson did like he's going to take responsibility he's going to you know shoulder the blame whenever he can and he's going to be an adult about things and he's smart and he's going to learn and he's going to grow so I just I, I feel like people need to give Kevin Stefanski more credit because keep in mind he's he's young like he's still young and he's still relatively new like even though he's very good at his job and I know he's going to be legendary in the NFL like he's already on that path like you can't expect him to be like this all-time Hall of Famer legendary football coach and only his at the age of 37 in his second year as a head coach like you just can't expect that out of him. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm going to go back and say, like, Andy Reid was, like, I mean, I think Philadelphia fans, like, don't like to talk about this because I think they were taken back in a heartbeat right now. Yeah. They were mad at him when he left. Like, Browns fans were mad at Bill Belichick for for benching Bernie Kosar and weren't sad when he left. And man, how much do we wish he would have ended up being in Cleveland for as long as he's been in New England? Like, guys, like, I just, again, like, it's so much better than it has been. Expecting 
one of my best friends in the world uh i have i have a tendency to be a little bit of a perfectionist sometimes and she is the best counter voice but she always says don't let perfect be the enemy of good and i just feel like we really need to embrace that concept right now love that love that might need to call jenna and get that on a (laughs) t-shirt right um so before we move on from this, I do just want to bring up, I thought his post-game comments, Kevin Stefanski's, Kevin Stefanski's post-game comments were a little odd, um, coupled with the decisions at the end of the game. Um, so two things kind of struck me. He talked about how the reason that he called the plays he did when they went three and out with three minutes left was because of the tackle position. And he didn't want to give a chance for something bad to happen. Um, which was bizarre because Baker threw it on second down. Um, so, and I don't know, like my husband's conspiracy theory is on the the third, um, on the draw play was that Baker made that call. It wasn't Stefanski, which I was like, oh, look at you trying to fan the flames of Jeff? Baker. Um, Jeffrey? Jeffrey, don't you do that. Um <laughs> And then the other comment from Stefanski was um, he was getting them in position for the Hail Mary, which I also found very odd because when they, when the Browns got the ball back after the Browns defense scored for the chargers, um, there was a minute 38 left on the clock. And I, everything was just really weird. We didn't even try to throw a pass to the sidelines. We threw like screen passes and gained like, barely any yards and then we had to yeah. throw a Hail Mary so I was like I was very yeah. confused we were running we were running plays to set up a Hail Mary pass when we could have really just set up plays to go down the field and score a regular touchdown I know at one point if you had given that ball to Kareem Hunt there's a very real possibility that he could have just broken off and like taken off down the field but one of the things with that specific play where the the Browns defense scored for the Chargers One of my favorite things happening on Twitter during that play were the half of people who understood what was going on versus the other half who didn't understand what was going on. And they were like making fun of the Browns defense for essentially scoring the touchdown for the Chargers. And then there was the other half of Twitter that knew that if the Chargers score, then the Browns get the ball back as opposed to milking it on, you know, just scoring a first, like getting a first down because I think there were. I think they were in a position where they could have gotten a first down without scoring a touchdown. And then they could have just kneeled in and uh, run out the clock. And and people understood that that's what the Browns defense was doing. Like they were trying to get the Chargers to score because they knew that that was the only way to get the ball back with enough time to to score a touchdown at the end of the game. And I think that's another one of those situations where... What they did was a smart move. It just didn't work out in the end because the defense, or excuse me, because the offense couldn't execute. Um, or just the the play calling, because you're right. Yeah, like setting up that Hail Mary when when Baker hasn't really been connecting on those long passes. So, but yeah, I, that, I, I, just, mean, I just wanted to bring that up with like that specific play, like half of Twitter got it and the other half didn't. So here's what I think. I think there's plenty of blame to go around on that last series. Right. Like, is it possible that Baker made some questionable decisions about where to put the ball and where not to put the ball on that last series when he was dinking and dunking? Yes, it is possible. Is it possible that wide receivers should have done a better freaking job of getting separation um, 
and, and giving him opportunities to get the ball on the sidelines, yes, that's possible. Is it possible that James Hudson is like, and people keep getting mad at me. I don't hate the kid. I like the kid. I liked him when we drafted him. He was drafted to be a developmental project. We are playing with 0.5 tackles right now. Like Blake Hans is a guard. <laughs> James Hudson is a developmental project that is getting put in to replace Jack Conklin, an all pro tackle. It is valid. And, and Baker has a torn labrum. Like, it is valid that there are concerns about what can happen to Baker when you put those two tackles out on the field, particularly when the one who is a baby that looks clueless. Um, oh. Did you guys lose me? No, I'm just okay. laughing that you're calling him a baby that looks clueless. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> um, you know, like, I think that even when one of them is that, like, he's he's not just that. He's going against Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa is terrifying. Like, yeah, this is a valid concern, right? And also the play calling could be bad. So I just, you know, I'm going back to kind of the beginning where I was saying, like, there are so many ands. Like, is it possible Baker made bad decisions? Yes. And is it possible that wide receivers could have done more to get open? Yes. And. Is it possible the, the play calling could have been different? Yes. And is it possible that Kareem Hunt could have gotten the first down because last week on third and 20, he broke out a 22-yard run, run on almost the exact same play? Yes. And is it also true that I completely disagreed with the broadcast that there was incidental contact in the end zone when David Njoku actually got tackled on that Hail Mary play? Yes. So, like, I just... I don't, I don't know if it's that easy. I just know it was a very frustrating thing to watch, and I wish it would have gone differently and we would have won the game. Very good points. Okay, we cannot, though, leave this podcast without, point, without pointing a finger at the Scottish Hammer, the punter. Is it I don't time that we move listen. on, ladies? Is it time? So, okay. I, I will say this about Jamie Gillen. Um... I do think it's time to move on. However, however, with everything that Nicole just pointed out and also friendly reminder, never argue with Nicole because you won't win. <laughs> but it's like worrying about Jamie Gillen is like being on the Titanic after it hit the iceberg and worrying about your leaky faucet. This got very dramatic like, all of a sudden. <laughs> well, like, like is is a leaky faucet the problem? Is a leaky faucet a problem? Yes, it's it's absolutely a problem. But when you're on a, a a ship that's split in half and sinking in a freezing ocean, that's a bigger problem. And I think that's kind of what Jamie get like. Is Jamie Gillen a problem? Yes, but in the grander scheme of things, he's such a minor impact on everything else going on. All right, Mayor, I got to disagree with you. So you cannot give that high-powered Chargers offense the opportunity to start in Brown's territory at the end of the game because you have been consistently kicking punts like 40 yards or less. You can't do it. Like, you, you cannot. So, like, field position becomes really important. 
our defense was having a hard enough time getting off the field. You can't let them start like defending at the Browns 48. It just, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, and I know, but it just, I don't know the... if you guys um, ever, you know, if folks want to come over and, and catch up on old seasons of, um, of for Pete's pay- sake, you will know that I am like notorious for saying that I want to punt Jamie Gillen to the moon. Um, <laughs> And like Pete, when that happened, Pete just texted me and all it said was to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like if you want to talk about like unacceptable punt play, um, and I think it's like a valid thing to talk about, Brad Steinbrook, who is a writer for the OBR, has been like beating this drum for a while now. And for a while, he was taking like a lot of crap for it, but the tides have shifted and everybody seems to be on his side. Um, But he tweeted today Jamie Gillen is 29th in gross punting average at 41.8 yards, 27th in net punting average at 38.2 yards. 28th with 627 total yards and only has five punts inside the 20 and that's tied for 22nd that's not gonna do it y'all that's not gonna do it okay so i kind of feel i feel i feel the same way about punting that i do about the refs where uh no you can no here's the thing you shouldn't be you shouldn't be in in a position where a crappy punter is gonna swing the momentum of the game for you like it shouldn't be something where we're we shouldn't be relying on jamie gillen for like anything uh okay um the only thing good he has going on is that we control yes yeah that is true like we we can control that but again i will go back to Brittany's tweet that she sent out during the game where uh, she said, you know, just because he has muscles and he drinks beer doesn't mean he's good. Um, I have never agreed with Brittany Mollis more than in that moment that she sent that tweet. Well, yeah, but I think that like he won us over two years ago, right? And he had this, like, moxie and this personality and he came Well, because he a... wasn't afraid to put he... his body in the way of harm. Like, he, he had was no a problem, good rookie. Like... Yeah, he was. He was a yeah. good hunter as he... a rookie. Wait, he he did he regress bad. last year as well, too, right? Like, and I know he was injured. Yeah. But No, he... well, he had COVID and he was out and then he came back and it wasn't as good. And I was willing to give him, like, a pass. Like, you know, I don't know what you're, you could be dealing with long COVID. Like, I don't, I'm gonna, I was willing to give him a pass um, I'm no longer willing to give him a pass. And I'm also no longer willing to give Mike Prefer a pass. Right. Like, do like this is an unacceptable situation. It's not getting better. Either you coach him up and you fix it, or you walk into Andrew Barry's office and you ask for a new punter. And like, listen, I know that's a big ask. Like, I think sometimes people think like, oh, punters are like kickers. There's just like a million really good ones like sitting out there and you just go grab one off the street and my, maybe he's Cody Parkey and he ends up being your punter for like a year and a half. And like, I don't I don't think it's actually that easy. And I actually think that's why we're probably still stuck with Jamie Gillen is because it's not that easy. But if there is a punter sitting out there that would play considerably better than Jamie Gillen, I would really like it if Andrew Barry would sign him. Yeah. Yeah, that I agree with. I just had to say this out loud. I wrote this in the rundown and, you know, his his nickname, like, it's time to, like, he's not the Scottish Hammer anymore. 
So, like, does he deserve a new nickname? And then I was like, well, what is the most least helpful tool in the toolbox? Because that's, like, I mean, he right now is the Scottish duct tape, right? Like, that, like, we are. Oh, but duct tape I is think super helpful, though. that's offensive to duct tape. Yeah, I'm with Meredith. Uh, no, that's but, offensive. like, you use duct tape in a spot where you don't have any other options. And that is exactly what he, that's exactly what this is right now. We don't have another option. Oh, I mean, okay, I was going to call him. That. That's actually a really good analogy. I was going to call him this, I was going to call him the Scottish Ikea tool because the tools, because <laughs> the tools that you get when you purchase Ikea furniture are only good to put that particular piece of furniture together. Like you can't use those weirdly shaped hexagonal wrenches in, in any other situation. So like. He's he's the Scottish IKEA wrench or something. Because, like, <laughs> like, remember to, well, after the Chiefs game, I called him the Scottish screwdriver because he screwed us. <laughs> I, screwdriver screwdrivers are helpful though. Like they're very helpful tools. I don't know. I feel like he's like the wrong screwdriver. Like I feel he's, like he's the flathead, and I need the Phillips. Like yeah. <laughs> he's he's. The, when when you're putting together something in American measurements and he's the metric? Yes, he's the ruler that only has a Scottish metric system on it. <laughs> like, I just... You guys, this is what you guys should all come listen to this podcast for. It's for our great um, handyman <laughs> toolbox takes. Right, right. It's, he's the... He's the thermometer that only measures in Celsius when we're in America and we and we think in Fahrenheit. Yeah, yes, he can go guy. back. Maybe going back to playing rugby is like going back to reading in Celsius because it right now I don't know if he has much of a future in the NFL. But I will stop. Pete gets mad at me because he says I pick on our special teams players. So listen, if they deserve it, then yeah, they I mean, deserve he's gonna it. be he's gonna be able to enjoy as many beers as he want pretty soon because he's not gonna have a job. I mean, he has to know that. Right? Like, he's not immune to knowing and understanding. Like, his job is on the line. And, like, you have to do better in those games. Like, the team is counting on you. Like, I mean, all these little things, they add up. Like, they all matter. And you know what's really weird is, it's actually, it's not weird. But what do you do as a punter to become better? Because, like, you know, for wide receivers, they'll work with the jugs, with, you know, with running backs. They'll do agility drills with... Uh, with tackles and and the defensive line they do blocking drills like there's very like does he just does he have to pull like a Michael Jordan and you can't leave the the practice facility until you hit the 100 free throws but instead of free throws like he has to kick a punt longer than 40 yards I don't know but I think I think we could find out Mare I will just let you guys know I don't know if you caught this that after the Chiefs game when he like failed fundamentally at his sole purpose. Um, he was asked how he felt about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I was unfortunate. I'm not really that worried about it." And like my brain almost exploded <laughs> everywhere. And so, like, I don't know what you have to do, but let's try it. Let's try it. Right. Like I remember at one point, people were encouraging Carly Lloyd to try out as kicker. I don't know that she would make a good punter, but you know what? If Carly Lloyd could come in and, and kick farther than Jamie Gillen could, I would say, let's go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to many alternatives right now. Same. 
I mean, she's going to, I mean, I think this is her last year with the U.S. Women's National Team. So I don't know if she's looking to continue her athletic career in a different manner or if she's just going to retire completely. But, you know. Go retire. Live your life, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, like, at this point, yeah. I mean, at this point, you almost want to go down to the Columbus crew and be like, listen, are you, like, willing to loan us Lucas Zellerion or something for the the rest of the season? Because we just, we need something because our Scottish... Our, our Scottish Ikea tool is not cutting it. Yeah, and I hear Jimmy Haslam has an in down there. That's so right. maybe it's that easy. would work out. Easy, easy. Probably get paid more. Yeah. Um. All right, so we'll close up the show. This is like a marathon session, and I love every minute of it. Um, this has been great. Um, but we're going to close out with um, pulling out some positives. And we talked a little bit about some of these already, but we'll elaborate a little bit more. So um, – to me, I thought it was really important that Baker had a bounce back game and that he did. Um, he was 23 for 32, 305 yards, two touchdowns, um, even with a loss. Um, I think you needed this because uh, I think if Baker would have played bad and we lost, like things would be 10 times worse if you can even imagine what that would look like. I don't know if it could get worse, but if Baker played bad, I think I, I would have been off of social media for the entire week. Um, the one thing I do want to touch on a little bit is, um, Mrs. Mayfield, Emily, um, I don't know if you guys caught her Instagram story from earlier today, but she's calling out the fans, uh, about her husband. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on this, but I thought it was interesting because she's pretty much saying like, you guys don't deserve it. So here's my take on that. Uh, Baker Mayfield was in the media a little too much his first you know two years in the league and you know saying things on twitter and you know getting into fights with colin cowherd and it wasn't a good look and he he grew up he matured and the things that he says and does are no longer headlines the only time we're really talking about baker mayfield is when it comes down to his performance on the football field and that's how it should be Um, I think that Mrs. Mayfield should take a leaf out of her husband's book. Wait, wait, wait. I have breaking news. You're assuming, you're assuming that Baker is not taking his outspokenness and funneling it through his wife's Instagram. I'm trying. Well, Meredith, Meredith, wait, I have to jump in here because I have breaking news. So you're saying all of that. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield tonight Oh no! Did he? Post oh, from Stephen A. Smith that says like the Browns will not win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield at quarterback and post on his Instagram story. You want to know something? <laughs> it is a good thing that eggs are my favorite food because I have some all over my face right now. <laughs> it's I so, no, like, it's so that funny. Stuff doesn't bother me. Like this thing where like Baker gets a chip on his shoulder yeah. doesn't like. I think there are levels to it, right? And you can take it too far, and then it becomes a distraction. I don't think like one, you know, post about like Stephen A. Smith on your Instagram feed is taking it to that level. And Baker with a chip is often better. Like, here's a case in point. He got called out real hard last week. It wasn't necessarily undeserved. And he came out this week and was better. But here's the difference. Instead of coming out this week before the game and running his mouth or saying a bunch of stuff before the game this week he did what he needed to do which was this you're you have a torn labrum and you have no tackles and you don't play well in that situation because you have a tendency to get like happy feet and you lose your mechanics and you know what he came out this week and did 
like shoulder be damned, like pass pro be damned. I am going to stand in this freaking pocket and I'm going to plant my feet and I'm going to throw an accurate football. So he was focused on the thing that I needed him to be focused on coming into this week. And you saw it, it paid off. So if he wants to like say something about Steven Smith, because frankly, what Steven Smith said is dumb. And he wants to use that as like whatever gym fuel. Like, I don't care. That's fine with me. As long as he comes back out next week and does the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, you either love him or hate him, right? I, I think the fans love when he like sees this stuff because they think that means he has the chip and he's going to play really well. I just have flashbacks to 2019 when like every week we were like, oh, like Baker's going to come out. Like he's going to have this revenge game and like we never saw it happen. <laughs> so I, just, but I think you just, you just saw it last yes, week, right? You yes. had, you had a really Fake bad game restored. followed by a really, yeah, a really good game. So like, you know, it's go- going back to like, let, like use your eyes and like trust your ears and like trust what's happening in front of you and the evidence that you're being presented with. Like he didn't do well. He put the pressure on himself and he came out better. And like, I'm just going to continue to expect him. Like, I guess my point being like, I do think he's matured and I still don't think maturing means he's going to stop being Baker Mayfield. Which we we want him to be Baker, right? That's what we love about him. Um, Okay, so breakout players. We touched on this. He did not get nearly enough um, chat about how well he played from us in this podcast. Um, but let's give him the credit where credit is due. David Njoku, you guys. Um, this was amazing this game. to see. It was his I, game. And, of course, like, I didn't start him on my fantasy team, which, like, of course. But it's fine. I will sacrifice him on my fantasy team every single week if he plays like this. But he finished the day, seven catches, 149 yards, um, and a touchdown. I mean – he was unstoppable, and this is exactly what you love to see about scheming up plays. I mean, we have spent years and decades, actually, of our defense being exploited by other coaching staffs and teams, and we finally got to exploit um, another team's weakness, and we utilized a freaking tight end to do that. I mean, I think I saw a stat today that this was the first time that a tight end um, – had over 100 yards in a game for the Browns since Gary Barnage, whom, by the way, I loved. Um, loved me some Gary. Um, so, I, I mean, this was great to see. I I think you could say David Njoku is the best tight end on the on the Browns. Is that a hot um, take? Yeah, I, no, that's not, a, that's not a hot take. And uh, he was last year, too, and people don't want to hear that because we paid a lot of – we paid a lot of money for Austin Hooper, but it is what it is. I will say this, he was he was the best tight end for the Browns last year. That game though, that game we just watched and what he did in that game, that is why we drafted him. Yes. We drafted him because he's a f- athletic freak of nature and the fact that he has now put together like blocking and like knowing a scheme and where he's supposed to be and running a route and having good reliable hands and then combining that with like his athletic like ridiculousness we can keep doing that we can do that all season i'm just really excited about it more more david more more Najoku. the other thing that was really good to see is um the usage of donovan people's jones um five receptions 70 yards um this was this story has been a little bit bizarre i guess in in the first couple of games because he has been on the field and playing a significant amount of snaps 
and was not being thrown, like not even targeted. Um, so he finally got um, got some targets. Um, I, I think he caught everything thrown his way, maybe only missed one, um, and and had 70 yards. Really nice play, too, to kind of spin out of a tackle and and have a really nice game. So um, it, was, it was interesting. After the OBJ drop on fourth down, um, it was almost as if Baker didn't even consider him, and it was like the DPJ show. I mean, OBJ did have that, like, amazing toe-tap catch yes. after that. But I will say, like, it, what's funny to me is I don't know if it's a Kevin Stefanski thing or if it's a Baker Mayfield thing. Um, I do think it comes from, like, having so many receiving options out on the field, right? Like, you have Higgins, you have DPJ, you have OBJ, you have Schwartz, you have Najoku, you have Hooper, you have Bryant, you have Kareem Hunt. Like, that's a lot of people to throw the ball to. And for whatever reason, if you scroll up, you don't get the ball anymore. And yeah. that, and like DPJ had some instances early in the season where he had bad drops. And like, I just feel like he was like, okay, we'll just go out there and run. We're not going <laughs> to throw you the ball. Just run. This is your penance for like some really rough moments. And like, you know, kind of to your point, I think like, when you have this many weapons, if someone's going to let you down, like they're not getting the ball back. And it's why Richard Higgins gets the ball in clutch moments. And it's because there's a trust there. And yeah. so I think, I think as you know, I think this was a really good game for DPJ. I think that there's a high possibility that that did kind of like reestablish a trust that we saw going in the preseason. And I hope to see that like, utilized more and more particularly until Landry comes back although he is eligible to come off of IR this week so it'll be interesting to see if he does or not yeah Mary anything to add no I mean you guys covered it a hundred percent like I agree with everything that both you guys said about both Najoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones like it it is a like it is almost an embarrassment of riches with the amount with the weapons that Baker Mayfield has around him so what I expect and I kind of hope that this happens is that every week there's going to be a different breakout player like last week it was Kareem Hunt and this week it was David Njoku like maybe and like one week it was Nick Chubb like maybe next week it's somebody else like maybe it, there is a a bigger breakout week for Donovan Peoples-Jones but like the Browns have that option and that's really what I'd like to see because I did notice um, after – oh, no, Kareem's, Kareem's uh, breakout game was against the Bears because I did notice that against the Vikings, anytime Kareem got the ball, or at least more often than not in the beginning, he was getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage a lot. And so to me, that that read as if the Vikings saw what Hunt did against the Bears the week before and they were preparing for him. So the fact that the Browns have all of these stellar weapons – they can they can confuse defenses. You know, they they don't have to rely on Nick Chubb every single week. They don't have to rely on Kareem Hunt every single week. And at this point, I hope that other defenses are looking at the Browns and getting scared and saying, well, you know, we didn't expect that to come out of David and Joku. Now we have to worry about that going forward. We have to Great. Worry, about worry about that. And we'll just have, you know, next game is the game I want to see OBJ just like run yes, all over like, the field. He right? is... He is due. He is way overdue for an absolute breakout game. Absolutely. Like, maybe that's what we need to manifest this week, although we tried to do it last week. But that's that's really what 
what is exciting about watching the way David Njoku played and watching the way Donovan Peoples-Jones played was realizing that every week Baker can have a different dude. Like next week, maybe it's Hollywood Higgins. Like maybe Hollywood Higgins goes, you know, 10 for 10 for over 100 yards and two touchdowns or something like that. You know, like it's just, yes. there's so many options and it's it's a very good thing. And just people need to remember, again, even though the Browns lost, the offense still scored over 40 points. And that that's a lot. Like that's a lot of points in the NFL. So... Well, yeah, yeah, and to your point, Merit, like it's back to this whole idea, right, that there are so many things to enjoy about this. The fact that we have so many offensive weapons that everybody gets to pick their week to shine mm-hmm. is just like one of the many things we should be enjoying right now instead of arguing over yes. like yes. stuff on Twitter. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. All right, ladies, we'll wrap it up with this final question. Where do we go from here? Where do we go? Three and two, up, five hopefully. games in. Got a lot of football left. Hopefully up. Yeah, I'm saying, like, just go win the AFC North, right? Like, that's the goal. Yeah. Go do it. You still can. Yeah. The- you still can. <laughs> it's very, yeah, I mean, very possible. Yeah, they've got... They've got two against they've they've got two against the Steelers that hopefully they'll win both. Hopefully they'll be able to do both against the Bengals. And I at the beginning of the season when we were doing way too early predictions, I predicted a split with the Ravens, but I'm looking at this team and saying this is a team that could beat the Ravens twice, especially since it's going Ravens by Ravens. They can do it. Yeah, I mean they're currently they were down twenty five and nine against the Colts, and they're currently mounting a comeback right now, and it's twenty five to seventeen. And we'll you know we'll see if they're able to like you know make up make up the deficit and, and win the game. There's a little over nine minutes left, but I I do think it's I do think we have we have a pretty good schedule sitting in front of us for a while now. Like the Cardinals game is going to be hard, but then like I am not worried about playing the Broncos um and I will be at this game so I'm really excited about Yay. going and watching that um so yeah what do I want to see Brie I want to see a complete game yeah, this season has that. been this season has been why has the defense struggled when the offense is playing so good or why has the offense struggled when the defense is playing so good and so I just want to see a complete game on both sides of the ball at the same time love it that's perfect that's that's a perfect one and we will end on that. Um, ladies, this was a wonderful marathon therapy session. Um, it takes a lot of therapy to undo many, 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 many years of Browns football trauma. Um, and unfortunately, we did not really have – we can't complain about Sunday. I'm over it already. This was super helpful. So if you need it, guys, this took us an hour and 50 minutes <laughs> to work through everything, <laughs> all of our pain. So just recommending that time to get out your grievances. Um, let it all out. Um, but Nicole, we wanted to thank you for coming on our show tonight um, and joining us. It was wonderful to have you on. We'll have to have you on again. Yeah, um, it was so amazing to be here. I thank you guys so much for having me. And um, it was really, it was really fun. We talked for a long time, but it went super fast. I love talking to you guys. You need to tell everyone plug all of your stuff, plug your show where they can find you on Twitter. Um, let the people know so that they go download your show. Yeah. So for Pete's sake is available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, 
And you can find me on Twitter at Browns underscore babe and uh, good vibes only folks. Good vibes only. <laughs> Don't argue with her. You stay out of win. her. <laughs> yeah. Stay out of her mentions about Joe Woods. That's right. That's right. All right, ladies. Well, this was fun. Um, let's manifest a win on Sunday. A bounce back win on Sunday. Um, thank you guys all for listening. Shoot us a tweet. Let us know your thoughts. Um, we love to hear from you. You can find us on whatever your podcast podcast listening platform is, and we'll talk to you guys all next week.